How would you like the uh, beginning of that verse? Join with me in suffering. I don't know. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Um, Lord God, you are the potter, we are the clay. The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. Your strength and majesty are not dependent upon our worship. Everything we are, everything we have is dependent upon you. Help us to see you as you are and praise you as we should. We pray as Moses did that you would show us your glory and that when we see you, we would worship. As you reveal yourself to us, we pray that our hearts would respond increasingly in love to you. This would be a foolish prayer if it wasn't for Jesus. But we pray confidently in the name of Christ because of the sacrifice Jesus made for us. And we come before you this morning as your church, people Christ died for, people entrusted with your Holy Spirit, people with new life. Help us to grow strong in the grace of Jesus. Help us to be bold with the message of Jesus. We pray for our community, for our village leaders, for all those who live here, work here, learn here, play here, provide for their physical and emotional needs. We pray that you would, most importantly, provide for their spiritual needs. Would you grow up godly men and women from this region and transform our community to honor you? We pray that you would send people from Life Spring Community Church and from this region to declare the glory of God in Jesus Christ throughout the world. Now, as we open your word, we pray that you would help us to understand what is written there and how to live. All glory be to you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we are continuing our leadership series, and as I've mentioned before, part of the reason we're going through this Christian leadership series, not the only reason, but a big part of it, is that we are doing an elder search here, we're conducting an elder search here at LifeSpring Community Church, and so we want to understand what it looks like to identify good and godly elders, and, uh, and what does it mean to have a, uh, an elder um, here serving at LifeSpring. So we've been talking about that for several weeks, uh, this idea of Christian leadership. And in your bulletins, we have a, a couple uh, candidates, two candidates being proposed as elders there, Scott McGinnis and Chris McBride. So it's in the back of your, your bulletin there if you want to look at it. And, uh, and uh, is Scott here somewhere? Oh, He's out back. Okay. Well, Scott, I think you can hear me out there. You should read your bulletin. Uh, in the very back of it, it says that you're going to be speaking next Sunday. So, um, so I want to take just a minute and explain the process of, uh, of raising up an elder. And uh, because it, it, it is fairly involved, that's why we do it uh, every other year instead of every year. Um, did you hear me out there, Scott? Oh, okay. I was just saying, read the back of your bulletin. It says you're speaking next Sunday. Uh, so we start out, uh, in fact, we can go to that first slide there. Uh, ask the congregation. That's what we start out doing. So many of you have received some sort of a, uh, something on paper or you, you've, uh, you've given us some feedback on who you think would uh, be a good elder. So we take those things seriously. And, um, and then we have been training on Christian leadership to understand what that means from biblical qualifications. And then next, uh, we, uh, the current elders, are supposed to evaluate, pray, and discern uh, from this uh, who God is uh, leading to be uh, future elders. And, um, and then the elders propose and interview candidates. 
And so uh, they'll um, uh, gather together and say, we, th we think that these are the candidates we should interview. Now, not everyone that gets interviewed ends up um, being a, a future candidate because there are several things um, that um, sometimes we'll interview somebody and they'll say, well, I, I really don't see teaching as part of my ministry. I, I, and that's a uh, qualification as an elder. I see myself more as a deacon or I don't have enough uh, um, time for this particular thing or whatever. So there, there are several reasons uh, and, and the elders have to be members and there, there are several reasons why someone might not proceed past that time. And then we offer the candidates to the, um, the congregation. So we'll announce to the congregation. So that's the, pro there's the place that we're at right now. What's next is there's a time of interaction. So if you want to talk to one of the proposed elders or, or their wives, or, um, uh, or if you have a concern, then you can bring it to, uh, to the current elders. Um, and then uh, we'll vote. There's a town hall meeting December 4th where we'll vote in uh, the members and future elders. Um, and then uh, after that, the elders will be presented in front of the congregation on Sunday and join the existing elders in their work. So then you might wonder, well, what are the elders going to do? And, uh, and so that's the next thing. If, if we can move it to the next slide there. Um, they're going to learn. Uh, we continue to try to learn uh, and, and grow in theology, grow in missiology, grow in under, understanding of what's taking place in the culture and how to respond to it. So we're, we're learners, and we pray. We'll go through the list of, of people that are, are part of membership, are part of regular tenders, and, and we'll pray. Uh, we'll pray for needs. And then um, we uh, help to direct the affairs of the church. Now, there are many leaders that direct the affairs of the church here. The elders um, sort of set a, uh, a direction, but there are many people that are, that are uh, not elders that are uh, leading here. So, um, so that it's broader than that. And then there's shepherding. So elders are to shepherd. There are other people that are shepherding too, but elders are to smell like sheep. Uh, and so they're supposed to be out amongst people and, and helping to shepherd. And then finally, um, elders sacrifice. Uh, elders sacrifice their time, money, and talent on your behalf. And uh, so um, the uh, final thing I'd like to say in regard to that is we started this series with this, this passage, and I think it's very helpful. First um, Peter 5, 1 through 2 says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Well, if you would be in prayer over, uh, over the future leadership of this church, both the elders and other leaders, and, and uh, we, we believe that this is a, a significant time. God's doing something in our midst, so we need all sorts of leaders. We pray that God would provide them, and we've seen that. We are we're so grateful for how God's been providing unexpected ways here, and we expect that to continue. Um, so now we're going to turn our attention to this passage that we're looking at this morning. It is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And, uh, and this uh, letter was written into a certain circumstances. I shared a little bit this last week, but just as a reminder, Paul is writing this letter uh, from prison. He had by this time expected to join Timothy in Ephesus, but instead Paul is uh, chained in prison, writing his letter to Timothy from there. And Timothy is feeling rather chained himself, only not in a prison, but in the Ephesian church, which is full of false teachers and all sorts of different problems. He's sort of chained by his circumstances. And, uh, and so Paul, 
as, as a father figure towards Timothy, he, he loves Timothy, he longs for him, he treats him as a son. The word that when he uh, starts out both in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2 is this word that, that refers to child or son. It's a term of endearment. That's how I feel towards you, Timothy. And Paul's writing towards Timothy into his circumstances. And some have said this is sort of almost like a, a last will and testimony, uh, that, that Paul's not really expecting to get out of this situation on, on this side of heaven. Um, so that's what's taking place here, and, uh, and it, uh, it provokes the question, um, have you ever been chained by anything? Uh, perhaps not with a, a ball and chain around your foot by circumstances, by your own health, by your family, by relationship, by your lack of resources. Have you ever been chained? Um, we are hearing from someone who is truly chained and speaking some advice to another person who's feeling chained. And it's, it's helpful to kind of remember the context uh, that we're coming from. Now, in the last chapter, Paul reminded Timothy of what had been invested in him. So uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother had invested in him. Paul had invested in him. God himself had invested in Timothy. And God had an expectation that Timothy would take this talent that had been invested in him, invest it, and bring it back with interest. The idea is that much has been invested in you, Timothy. There is an expectation that you're going to invest in other people, and you shall do so courageously, without shame, guarding the deposit. So that was last week, and this week, if we can say anything about it, it's like adding an exclamation point to last week. Just do that in spades. And so... Um, as we start out, uh, we, we, we read these words, be strong in the grace in Christ Jesus. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so what do we mean by be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? What is that grace that is in Christ Jesus? And for our purposes, I'd like to think of it in a couple of different ways. One is it's a treasure, it is the treasure of the gospel. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But also, um, Paul's going to talk about um, multiplying that treasure and the interest and what's going to need to take place there. And so I want to think of it in terms of uh, sort of a workout terms of abs and feet, working out your abs and your feet here, okay? Your spiritual abs and your spiritual feet. Who likes to work out their abs? Is there anybody here? Like... There are very few people that enjoy that. Who, who loves planks and sit-ups? And oh, Those are terrible, aren't they? And, and yet that's the core that keeps us strong. The center of our being needs to be strong in order for everything else to work out. And so, so we're talking about that, those uh, spiritual abs and those feet that need to be ready to run and go and, 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 and do things. And so um, as we look at the, uh, the abs... Um, the grace of Jesus, it's a condensed way of saying, be strong in the central message of our faith, which is the gospel. The grace is the gospel. It's life itself. It's the central message of Christianity. It's your core. Be strong in the core. And then uh, Paul goes on and says, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I'm going to just stop for a second here and point out these are the four areas that we're going this morning. The first is the four generations I'm talking about right now. The next is the three images. The next one's the one message. And the last one is an unchained life. So the four generations right now, 
what are they? I just, the, the passage I just read dealt with four generations. Did you catch it? And the things you've heard me say, so that's Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust, so that now Timothy is going to entrust to reliable people, and those reliable people are going to entrust them to others. Pass it on, pass it on, pass it on, is what he's saying. There's a multiplication, there's an entrusting. So not only are you investing this treasure, but you're going to pass it on to the next person who's also going to do that and, and, and again and again and again. And there's a, there's a growth factor here. And the other thing that's very interesting about here is it's not linear. If you think about the growth that's taking place here, you could say, well, you know, uh, Paul entrusted to Timothy. Timothy's going to entrust it to another person. He's going to entrust it to another person. But actually, it's more like Paul entrusted to Timothy and Silas and Priscilla and Aquila and Epaphras and Titus and who knows how many people Paul entrusted it to. And those folks are entrusting it to multiple other people. And so it doesn't look like a line. It looks like an explosion. And that's what Paul is asking Timothy to do. Keep it up. Keep it up. If, this, if, the, if the core of our faith is life itself, is it's a redeemed life full of joy and, and future hope, and it's worth it, if it's worth more than anything else you could possibly have, you'd want to share that. And you share it with another person who's going to share it with another person who's going to share it with another person. And this is God's whole plan for getting this message of life out to other people. You have to be strong in the core in order to use your feet. If you don't have the, um, the central message correct, then what are you going to be taking somewhere else? So you have to understand that central message of Christianity, of following Christ, which is grace of Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about here. And you need to take that with your feet and tell others about it. Now, um, who is... Who are these reliable people? And, uh, and other versions says faithful men. I think reliable people is actually a better translation here. Um, who, these are people who will be qualified to teach others. Now, this doesn't mean a, a seminary qualification. It doesn't mean a formal education. It means that they're going to understand the central message of Christianity, and they'll take that, and they'll share it with others. All they need to do is understand it's all about grace. The truth is, you're a sinner. You've made mistakes in your life. You're a sinner by nature. You're inclined to do things wrong, and you've done things wrong yourself. And, and even if we just judged each of us by today, we probably wouldn't do very well. But the truth is also that Jesus died for all those sins, and we're completely saved. And if we truly believe both that we are fallen and sinful and have problems— and that we're completely forgiven in Christ, that message is freeing and it's life. If we only believe one or the other, we get sort of a messed up message. If we only believe that we're a sinner and we, we kind of in our hearts believe we need to do certain things in order to make ourselves acceptable to God, that is not a freeing gospel. It's not something that brings life. It's actually something that wears us down because the reality is it needs to be free. It needs to be given by Christ. And if we only believe that Christ has, has died for us and given us new life, we don't believe we're a sinner, then we don't actually appreciate the, the value 
of what he's given us. We already think we're good. But the, the truth is, we actually need what is given to us through Christ, and it is life-giving. And that's what we need to share with others with beautiful feet. Now, the, uh, the next thing Paul does is he says, okay, I want to cement this, Timothy. I want to get it in your head, and so I'm going to give you three images. Has anyone uh, in this room ever been or, or is currently a soldier, an athlete, or a farmer? Anybody? Yeah, we've got, we've got a few here. Um, it, it almost sounds like uh, you know, a joke. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer went out, and then one day, you know, but we're not going to, that's not where he went with it. He said, the soldier, um, join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Join me in suffering like a good, do soldiers suffer? Well, think, Paul sometimes was chained to a Roman soldier. So Paul's chained, but so is the soldier in uncomfortable circumstances. And the Roman army, um, in, in some cases, they would go in advance against the troops, and if they were to run away from the troops, their own commanding officers would kill them. And th so there, there are hardships, there are certain hardships that go along with being a soldier. And what Paul is saying is um, a soldier is focused on winning the battle. A soldier is, uh, is keyed into doing what they're supposed to do. There's a very keen structure of who is in charge. And uh, in this case, he said, yes, there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be hardship. You're going to sleep in the ground, eat bad food. But no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So the soldier doesn't get entangled in other affairs, but has their eyes on the commanding officer, who is Christ in this case. And so because we have our eyes on Christ, we're willing to go through some hardship and endurance and perseverance in order to help um, win the battle. And then the, the next uh, image that we have is the competing athlete. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. And so the victor's crown in this case is like, it's not like a gold thing. It's like a wreath that you get at the end of a race. And uh, back in those days, I've actually never gotten a wreath at the end of the race. I think that'd be kind of cool. But, uh, but in, in those days, you know, you win the race and you get the wreath. And uh, he said, you know, as, as an athlete, uh, what are you going to do? You're going to um, compete according to the rules. In order to get if you are an athlete and you cut through a field to get there ahead of somebody else and you got the, that you know, crown, it's just a bunch of leaves on your head. But if you're an athlete and you compete according to the rules, you, you did the whole race and you did it the way you should do it, then you have the victor's crown. He said, that's, that's the athlete. Now, we're not talking about rigid uh, rules we're not talking about the do's and don'ts of Christianity. Uh, we start with, remember we're talking about grace here, the grace of Christ, be strong in the grace of Christ, the central message of Christianity. The truth is, we're sinners, Christ died for us, and because Christ died for us, we have new life. And because we have new life and we love our Savior Jesus, we'll do what we should do naturally in most cases, and if we don't, we'll, we'll repent from it. That's, that's how it works in the Christian life. If we make a mistake, we say we're sorry and ask for forgiveness, and we're forgiven by God our Father. And we don't do that tritely or, or uh, as, a, as a matter of fact. We, we do that you know, when we actually do make a mistake. Now, 
what he's saying is, those are the rules. And that's how it works. It doesn't work another way. And we need to be keenly focused on finishing the race. And then the next one is the hardworking farmer who should be the first to receive the, receive the share of the crops. He says, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. So Paul presents the hardworking farmer. What do the farmers do? Well, they till up the hard soil, they plant the seed, they water the crops, and things grow. God makes them grow. And uh, Paul says, be a farmer. Prepare for the harvest. Uh, invest in the crop that's going to take place. And in this case, the harvest is the Christian harvest. Plant the seeds, water the crop, do the work, and somehow you'll receive a share of the crops. Now, in each case, um, each of these um, images uh, received something, didn't they? In the case of the, uh, the, the, the athlete, he got the, the crown. In the case of the soldier, he got suffering. Well, uh, but he pleased his commanding officer. And then uh, in, this, in this last one here, he got a share of the crops. There's some sort of a promise that takes place, but there's also some sort of character qualifications um, that, that uh, are, are, are character that we learn from each of these images. Taken together, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer inform what it means to be strong in the grace of Christ. They provide images for the abstract concepts and character qualifications of single-minded perseverance. Integrity, spiritual integrity, discipline, vigor, hard work, faithfully planting and sowing. And in each case, there is, a, there is a reward. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is, be a soldier, be an athlete, be a farmer in this way. And trust in God to reward you with what you'll get rewarded, but it's going to take endurance, it's going to take single-mindedness, it's going to take investment. And then in verse 8, uh, he talks about the message. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Whose gospel was it? It's Paul's gospel. This is my gospel. This is my good news, which I'm chained for. Paul actually takes ownership for that message of Christ, for the grace of Jesus, that this is my message, that it's the only message I have to put out. It is the message I've been given by Christ. This is Paul's message. Is it ours? Is this your message? Is this my message? It needs to be. That's the centrality of it. The only way to have spiritually strong abs is by focusing on that central message. And then he said, uh, raised from the dead, uh, from the seed of David, uh, Romans 1, 2 through 5, uh, elaborates a little on, on the passage we've, we've just shared. I wanted to read that to you. It says, the gospel he proclaimed beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who as through the, uh, the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in the power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we've received grace and apostleship to call the Gentiles to obedience 
that comes from faith for his namesake. And so in the, in the Timothy passage, he said he's the son of David. And so somehow he's, he's the God-man. He's 100% God. He's 100% human. And so in the Romans passage, Paul declared Jesus to be both the seed of David and the son of God, as declared by the power of the resurrection. And then in Peter, um, in the book of Acts, said, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, and so, uh, so, so what we have here is we have a Jesus who is a human and can die like a human, but who can, has an indestructible life because he's God and he has died for our sins um, so that we can have life in him. That's our gospel, the central message of the faith. But the one, the one thing we need to remember is that sometimes we, we, we go to the suffering part and the, and the death part, and, and, uh, and, but we need to remember that it leads to life. If we don't get to a point of life and joy, then we've missed something in the message that leads up to that point. If the Christian life is, uh, is frustrating and feels oppressive, then we've missed something because it leads to life. It leads to joy. It leads to a good spot. So what are we not believing that we need to be believing if, if it doesn't lead to this place of life? And so... The grace of Jesus is a life that never ends, a life without tears, without suffering, without sin, without scarcity. The grace of Jesus is the promise that we have an inheritance yet to come. In this world, we still experience suffering and tears. But we know that God has something better. We trust him what is and what will be. And back in the last chapter of Timothy, this is my last little gospel message or gospel uh, passage I want to read to you. Second uh, Timothy one nine through ten. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He saved us and called us into a holy life. He's called us into life, and that's what this all leads to. So that's the central message. That's your spiritual abs. That's the thing we got to work on, understand, believe, find out what we're not believing, and keep on digging into that and preach the gospel to ourselves until we are, are in a good spot and we're strong at our central core. And then um, he said, you know, but I'm chained. Paul said, I'm chained. I'm chained here in prison. I'm suffering for this gospel, but God's word is not chained. I may be writing this very letter that's going to be a part of Scripture from a prison, but God's word is not chained. God is not limited by my chains. I'm, a chain of, I'm chained and a prisoner of Jesus Christ, but the truth is the gospel is going to go out, and it's one message, and my life somehow is unchained. You know, in uh, a similar fashion, 1521 to uh, 1522, uh, Luther was imprisoned in Wartburg Castle, or he, at least he had to stay there so he didn't lose his head. And, uh, and during that time, uh, does anyone know what Luther did? Anybody? 
Yeah, he translated. He translated the Bible. So, so just so you know, the Bible, the, the New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek, which means common Greek. It was the common language at that time. Then it was translated to Latin so everyone could understand it because that was the common language. And then over the course of time, people stopped speaking Latin and it never got translated to anything else. And so what Luther did during that time that he was chained, figuratively, uh, is he translated the New Testament into German so the common person could read it. Was the gospel chained? Luther was chained. In fact, that may be the very thing that forced him to sit down. I mean, who can you imagine the work of translating from Greek the New Testament into German? That would be, that would be a horrendous amount of work. It would be painstaking and detailed and, and everything, but God used Luther's imprisonment his being sequestered in Wartburg Castle, in order for the gospel to go forth, for the, the word to be released. And in a similar fashion, Paul's saying, I'm chained, but the gospel's not chained. Now, we should pause for just a minute and say, you know, that could be so of us. Our very circumstances could be chained by many different things. It could be chained by our health, it could be chained by our finances, it could be chained by our relationships, but God's word is not chained. And God can do powerful things through each of us, regardless of our individual circumstances. Now, in verse 10, um, he says, I endured everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And, and there, I think that Paul is answering the question, why? Why would you be willing to go through the suffering and difficulty. He said, I do it for the elect, which is a curious word to use for those who are being saved because the elect means that they have been chosen uh, before the beginning of the world to somehow receive salvation. And yet Paul is saying, I do this for the elect because if I don't do this, the elect who've been chosen before the beginning, of, do you see the, the, the problem there? Um, they've been chosen from the beginning of time, their names are written in the book of life, and yet Paul says, I do this, I suffer for them so that they may be saved. So somehow God's sovereignty and human will are working together in such a way it is critically important that Paul share his faith, and yet God has ordained that it be so from the beginning of time, and somehow those two things are not contradicting one another. But I do it because I love people. And I want people to come and receive this message. I want them in their very core to have life. And that's why I have beautiful feet. So like Paul and Luther, we too ought to consider our momentary suffering that will result in the salvation of others, that we will be willing to do that. We'll be willing to take a chance for the sake of others. that we'd be willing to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, as, as Peter said in his first letter. As Paul said in Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. And then centuries later, missionary and martyr Jim Elliott wrote, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Be a soldier, 
be an athlete, be a farmer, do it with all you've got. Strengthen your core, strengthen your feet for the sake of others. Now Paul wraps it all up with this um, odd sort of poem, uh, song. It says, uh, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. I believe that these four statements represent life, future, belonging, and grace. Um, If we died with him, we'll also live with him. What does that mean? Um, If we are willing to lay down our lives in Christ and give up some of the things that we could naturally have, um, if we give our lives fully over to him, then we have a, a promise, a future life. A wonderful life with no more suffering, no more tears, and and ultimate joy Um, in the future. If we endure with him, if we endure now, we will reign with him. Uh, Does anyone find that stunning? Somehow we're going to have um, leadership in the kingdom of heaven. And you kind of go, has anyone seen my resume? I don't think I qualify for that job. Um, To to reign with Christ somehow, that, that almost seems blasphemous. But what he says is, endure now, and somehow God has work for us in the kingdom of heaven that, that's startling, and he's going to change us so that we're equipped to do that. And then there's this sense of belonging. If we disown him, he will also disown us. We say, what? Christ would disown me? Under what circumstances? If I disowned him. Christ would disown me if I disowned him. And I think, oh, that's terrible that if I disowned him, he would disown me. And yet, it makes a lot of sense. You walk away and he says, okay, go for it. And still, I just, I wonder, you know, the, the, uh, the, the um, predestination side of me just says, well, I, I don't know about that. How does that work? But I think he wraps it up here in verse 13. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. And people don't all agree upon the interpretation of that last verse, but here's what I think it means. Um, If we are faithless, Christ remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Who is Jesus Christ? He's the Son of God. He's fully human. He's fully God. But what did he do? Well, he died for our sins so we can be forgiven and have new life. Well, if that's true, and he cannot disown himself, if God can't disown himself, if Jesus can't disown himself, he has set himself up there so that we can be forgiven. And again and again, if we look at the historical books uh, with Israel, when Israel turned and said and repented and said, you're our God, we have sinned, forgive us. They're always restored. And I think that that is God's nature. That's who he is. He's always faithful, even if we're faithless. So if we find ourselves far from God, looking back, saying, how did I get here? God, forgive me, and repent and turn to him. God is faithful. And we rest not upon our own, our own feet, but upon those of Christ. It's not our own merit, but it's on Christ's merit.
So we have the unchained life, which, uh, which I really think is, is resting upon the power of Christ. Now, the other day, I was, uh, I was reading through this, uh, uh, the book of Isaiah, and so it came across Isaiah 52, 7. It says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And I thought of all the people that I knew that had beautiful feet, people that are, some of them no longer with us, some of them still here serving faithfully, but people that have, have risked and suffered and worked hard in order to share the good news, people with beautiful feet. I think of my friend Carl Brown who passed away and, uh, and went to his funeral. And, and have you ever, I don't know if you've been to like the best funerals. I mean, it's like who wants to go to a funeral? But if you're going to go to a funeral, um, the best of them are a celebration of someone's life that just... You're, you're overwhelmed with a sense of, oh my gosh, a good man or woman is down now. And I feel like I need to step up my game. I need to pick up the baton that's dropped. I need, to, I need to dig in and be more than I am right now because someone has gone to heaven and they've left a hole that I need to fill. Have you ever been to one of those? And, and you just, you, you kind of tears stream down your eyes and you just go, oh my gosh. I want that. I want to, I want to be like that. I want, and, if, and at the end of my life, if someone were, were to speak of me, I want these words said, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. I want to have those beautiful feet. In order to have those beautiful feet, I've got to have that solid core. And at the end of my life, if people were to say, you know, this is how he lived his life, or this is how she lived her life, wouldn't it be cool if those words were true of us? I think that Paul wanted these words said of him. He wanted to have these words said about him, and he wanted these words said about Timothy. And that's why he's sharing all these things in order to strengthen him to live his life in a way that at the very end he'll get the commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. May that be true of us. Let's pray. Father, uh, we want to have beautiful feet. And sometimes it's hard to have a strong core. It's the exercise we don't always want to go do. It's memorizing scripture. It's, it's digging in deep to your word. It's praying. It's walking and praying and fasting and praying and praying on our knees, praying with friends. It's being willing to grow and make the hard decisions when we know they're right, even if they're difficult. But Father, let that be so of us. Pray that you would work powerful and each of our lives, Lord, that we might grow in Christ, in the inner person, and that we might, with all our might, share the good news of Christ with those who need to hear it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.